It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. Great to have your company on this June day as we head towards the end of the month. Lots of chat coming up over the next couple of hours. I can't wait to to uh, talk to Peter Donnelly. He's the author of the President series of children's books. I absolutely love them. So does my Ava as well. But anyway, looking forward to uh, meeting Peter a little later on. Mary Cooney, she's the Queen Bee, and our sidekick daughter, Sally Anna, with us as well. They're putting a buzz in the new Boan Distillery Gin. My Artist of the Week, Blondie, the story continues in words and song. It's a big day tomorrow for Nick Hewer, presenter of Countdown for 10 years. We'll be... Uh, Hearing from Nick later on in the show. And if you want to get in touch, don't forget the usual numbers. 87 086-1800-658 that's 086-1800-658 or 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call into the show. Now June is Pride Month dedicated to activities and events that celebrate, support and empower the LGBTQ plus community. Yesterday, you'll remember I spoke with David Goff, Meath referee, top whistler in the country about the issues faced by gay men in the GAA and sport in general. Today, I'm joined on late lunch by Rory Hullohan, a teenager who you might remember joined us on the show back in November last year when he spoke to then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar uh, about his experience around homophobia. Rory, welcome back to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I, I'm so happy to be back on. Uh, not, not at all. It's great to have you, have you with us today. You were 15 then. Have you turned 16 at this stage? Yeah, back in February, I turned 16. Good man yourself. And where do you go to school, Rory? I go to school in Drotto Grammar School. Great stuff. And uh, you uh, uh, you came out when? At what age? Remind us again. Um, back when I was 13, um, when I was in first year. And as a 13-year-old, people would say, you're so young. Did you, did you know for a time, was this clear in your mind or did you struggle uh, with your sexuality for a while? Yeah, no, um, it was, it was, it was as though it was clear, but behind a brick wall, mm. I kind of knew what I, I was and what uh, I identify. I didn't want to identify mm. or confirm anything, but yeah. I more or less knew, and it was a struggle and there was a sense of denial at first. And I know that a lot of people will say that, oh, you were very young. It may just be a phase. But from speaking to people, um, they all seem to have similar stories of knowing at such a young age or questioning at such a young age. Yeah. Mm, So you questioned for some time. What was the reaction of your parents when when you spoke to them? Did you address this by degrees with them? Or was it just like the, the Big Bang Theory? Out you came and told them out of the blue. (laughs) um i suppose it was just kind of out of the blue and i have to say i'm very lucky i have i have very supportive parents Mm. i'm very lucky in that regard i I do have very supportive parents and i told them one by uh, one i told my mum first and then my dad very shortly after it just so happened that dad was out that night but um yeah i just said it and 
they were very supportive. Mm, which is fantastic to hear. And come back to the school environment, your social circles as well. How did that work? Did you, did you have to, you know, I'm trying to get to the point, you, you, you know, you say you felt like you were behind a wall and you questioned for some time and you were reluctant perhaps and, and the young age and all that. Did you have to come out to f- social circles, to people in your school? How did that work? Um, well... In first year, there were some people, even before I came out, who would um, call me gay and they would call me these homophobic uh, slurs before I had even come out or had confirmed that I was gay. It's just that they thought I I was and uh, it wasn't great. Now, I've always been more friendly with girls, but I did try to become friends with guys in um, secondary school. Um, But yeah... I eventually came out at the end of the year, so it was, I slowly but surely made my way around and told people I needed to tell, and then word started to spread, I suppose. And and did that then, in a way, ease the abuse that you had experienced beforehand? Did people accept you? Well, for the most part, yes. Some people um, who originally used those words it's as though the words lost meaning because I confirmed that I, I was gay. So by you taunting me, by them taunting me, it has no power because I can use the words myself. But there are some people who, despite that, were still homophobic mm. to me, even after me saying it. Now, you're with me today. We have a few things we want to talk about. And thank you for telling us your story and, and, and how the experience was for you. But within schools and within your age group and that as well, there are probably, and there are, uh, many who are questioning perhaps and, and, and who don't know and who have this fear. As someone who's come through this, what would you say to them? How, how can they be supported, Rory? Well, I feel the best way for someone to be supported when struggling with their sexuality is firstly for the people around them to know some of the signs that someone may be struggling with their sexuality. They may be quieter than normal, acting quite introverted or getting upset easily. And I think it's very important to note that there is a difference between identity and expression. Someone flamboyant may not be gay and a butch girl is not automatically a lesbian. And that's a very important thing to note. Um, I think respect is very important. Mm. If someone who is struggling with their sexuality is surrounded by supportive people, then the whole process is a lot easier. There is no, I feel that there is less uh, need for denial. Um, There's less stress involved because you know that regardless of your sexuality, Mm. you are accepted. And I think just for uh, people surrounding um, someone who may be struggling with their sexuality, I would not ever use um, trigger words. Do not ask them if they are gay. There are no buts or ifs around that. Let them use the terms when or if they are ready to. You wouldn't or at least shouldn't tell a person struggling with their weight that they are overweight or that they are fat, as this would make the person very upset. And you need to remind them that you are able to talk to them and listen to them in relation to anything, but do not pressure them into talking about it. And I feel it's best to try and educate yourself on the LGBTQ plus community and let it be known that you are an ally. I would deem this crucial. Your friend or loved one needs to know that there is someone to talk to and that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's a powerful analogy, the weight one, I have to say, and it strikes home with me and I'm sure many people listening today. Um, you've mentioned the word education then. We've talked a bit about schools and, and that, that environment that uh, um, young people go through as they progress in life. How do you feel the Relationships and Sexuality Education, the RSE programme that's currently in there in the curriculum, is it is it uh, of big benefit? Is it, is it working? If I'm honest, no, it's not. And this is one of the things that I spoke to um, on Taoiseach Michal Martin about back in November. There simply isn't enough in the programme. There is nearly nothing on 
um, the course in relation to non-reproductive uh, non intercourse and the sexual health of people in the LGBTQ plus community, um, which is very bad, especially when looking at the amount of people who are infected with HIV and AIDS every year. Mm. It's not it's, it's not a good trend and I feel it needs to be addressed. I feel as well there are a lot of terms in the relationship and sexuality education program but there's not a lot about different scenarios and um, per se how to help someone or how to be of support uh, to someone who is struggling with their sexuality or how to ask someone politely about their pronouns. I think that's so important because pronouns have gained so much more importance in the last few years compared to before as there is more respect now for people uh, who may be trans or non-binary and it's now very important I feel to inc include your uh, pronouns or for everyone to express what their pronouns are. Does, you know, you obviously question and many people question many aspects of their life, not just their sexuality across a lifetime for sure. Um, does, does the questioning arrive at everybody's door or is it something that, you know, it, it, it doesn't uh, really ever enter uh, the mindset of a lot of people? Well, I, I can't speak for everybody, but... Mm. From, uh, from stories and from research from different universities that I have looked at, um, it seems that a lot of people will question their sexuality at least once in their life. And just because you are questioning your sexuality does not mean that you are, in fact, gay yes. or lesbian or trans. It, it's normal. So it's not something to worry about, I suppose. But it is, from what I have seen, it is quite normal. But not everyone will um question their sexuality. Mm, mm, yes, and, uh, you know, uh, we, we're hearing a lot about this today. And, of course, in the month that's in it, that's why we're talking today, Pride Month, June, and all that's going, going on around it. I mentioned this yesterday when I was talking in a similar vein uh, to referee David Goff. And, uh, like, David's in his late 30s now, and he told us about his situation. Do you, As a young person, do you feel that, you know... Um, the month of June and, and Pride and all this and having to, you know, get out there and really, uh, you know, let people know that you're here and that it's very important. Do you see a day coming, you know, and you're a very young fellow, that this won't be the case, that this will be just part and parcel of life? I'm very hopeful that that will be the case. Um, hopefully in the not so distant future, there won't be a need for Pride. Um, Pride is a whole month of awareness, but one day where members of the LGBTQ plus community can feel free. And I'm talking about the Pride Parade. Mm. Um, this is a day where people will gather from near and far. They'll travel from near and far uh, to one location and not have to worry about acting a certain way out of fear or being verbally or physically attacked. And every day would be pride as there would be no need to, need to fight for equality. Mm, mm. While the constitution may have been amended, there has not, that does not mean that homophobia is suddenly a thing of the past. There are still people who are attacked and harassed on the daily. And there is still such an inequality with um, adoption and the teaching of sexual health in schools uh, for members of the LGBT community, just to mention a few. And until then, there will be a need for pride and I, for one, will still be attending. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, but, the, you know, if, if we if, if we uh, uh, can get over, you know, all the issues and, and this whole thing of people being abused and uh, threatened and living their lives in fear, it should not be the way for anybody ever, ever, ever. It really shouldn't, you know. So, look, at a, a lot... Uh, progress would you say like you know that famous saying a lot done a lot more to do would that sum up yeah we have come so far but this fight for equality and just utter respect that's what it comes down to it's it's down to respect it's not i, I at the end of the day you don't have to accept everything but at least give a bit of respect mm. um i i just feel that if we can all respect, then 
we are nearly there. We have nearly won this fight. Yes. Policy. Yes. Look, I respect you immensely, I have to say. And I think you're a, a fine young man. And I, I, I've always, I, from we've spoken, had a great regard for you. And I wish you well and success in your life, no matter where life takes you. And to all who are celebrating this uh, particular month, uh, June, uh, Pride Month, uh, it's, it's fantastic to see it. It really is. Thank you, Rory, for joining me again. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Rory Hollihan there, 16 years of age, uh, talking to me in the context of June and Pride Month. And uh, he made his views. I remember speaking to him late last year when he uh, was talking to Leo Varadkar and he really did make a a big impression on the then Taoiseach at that time. And uh, I thank him for joining me on Late Lunch this afternoon. If you want to get in touch with us on the show, if you have anything to say, don't forget the usual numbers. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. 1850-715-958. If you'd like to call in. You're so right, Angela. He sounds way beyond his ears, Jerry. Such a fine head on his young shoulders. What a young boy he is, says Angela. Yes, uh, he is a fine fella, Rory Holland. We were speaking to him there a little while ago. Thank you for the message, Angela. On a totally different angle, Joe's been on to say, Jerry, have a wee problem. Perhaps you can help me. I have a load of AAA and AA batteries, and I don't want to put them in the bin. I'd love to recycle them. Any suggestions? Recycling batteries. God, now that I think of it, Joe, I have quite a few of them at home myself. And I'm like you, I don't want to put them in the bin. I want to do the right thing. Where would you take wee batteries like that? And, you know, I have a few of the little square fellas as well that I've used. Where would you take them to recycle them? And um, I don't think they can go into any of your bins at home. Is there, will you help us? Help us, please, late lunch listeners today. AAA and AA batteries. Joe wants to know where he should go with them. Where would you, would you take them that they will be recycled? I wonder, does the recycle centres take them? They probably do, actually. I never actually inquired about that. But is there anyone anywhere else you can recycle those wee batteries? If you can help Joe, and myself, of course, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. You know the number for the dog and bone, the phone, 1850-715-958. Yes, lovely to hear from Maria and Claire Carton today. They want me to mention a very special lady and I will indeed Claire Murphy legendary hairdresser is retiring this week after 36 years in the business and they say they'll miss her they really will and I know many others will as well and they want to wish her well and thank her for all the years of taking care of them Best wishes to you, Claire. Uh, one door closes, another opens. You're great and you're so good. You really are. Obviously, very environmentally aware, our listeners. And thank you all for getting in touch. Aldi just comes at us all the time. Damo, Mina, Sinead, Theresa, Breed, Michelle and so on. All say Aldi take the wee batteries. I just asked you where you could leave AA and AAA batteries for recycling. V&W uh, Recycling Dundalk and Drogheda says, Heather, yes, they'll take them. Wesco and Drogheda will also take your batteries, says another listener. Boyd's are very good, says Mary. Tesco and Navin from Ollie today and Kells, super value. And another listener says, Jerry, don't forget Lidl. They'll take the batteries and they're supporting Laura Lynn, which is really good on the double. You're dead right there. Hillary again, Aldi she's saying there, uh, more for Lidl, V&W Recycling and so on and so on it goes. So there are plenty of places to leave your wee batteries. Don't put them in the bin. Recycle them. Thank you all for your kind advice. That's helping us all out on the show this afternoon. Now, let me tell you, I needn't tell you, you know, uh, my granddaughter, I have two granddaughters, Ava and Pippa and uh, I love to read. I love to read books, especially to Ava, because she's ahead of the other little one. And uh, we read when she was on stayovers, which hasn't happened in the last while. I love to read. But I have to say, her most favourite books and mine are the President series of books. Uh, It began with The President's Glasses for my next guest. It was a number one bestseller and shortlisted for 2017 Irish Book Award. In 2018, The President's Cat arrived and it won the Book Award and again a bestseller. And the final one in the series, The President's Surprise, was again shortlisted and just was whipped off the shelves uh, by parents they are a great series of books and I must mention The Dead Zoo again was nominated and another bestseller for him more recently I am thrilled to say hello on Late Lunch today to Peter Donnelly hello Peter hello Jerry. can you hear me I have you loud and clear 
<laughs> Lovely. How's, how's it going? Ah, it's going great. And it's even greater for speaking to you today. I know my granddaughter, Ava, is listening in to you. Will you say hello to her? I will indeed. Hello, Ava. I hope you enjoy the books. Um, I'd love you to have a fan in that neck of the woods. So, uh, yeah, always love you to hear back, Jerry, that um, of little grandchildren, or little grandchildren being read the books by their grandparents. Um, I love that idea. And um, no better way to kind of celebrate the books, really, you know, when I'm making these books. You know, Peter, you know, I-, I wanted to say to you, you are an illustrator, like by trade. You are a brilliant illustrator and we can see that from the books as well. And you've been working at that this business for such a long time. But I have to ask you this yeah. one, and I-, I know listeners are keen to find out, where or how did the President series begin? Wh- where did that come from? Well, I was... Um, I wanted... You know, like some of the most successful children's books out there, as you're probably aware, you know, kind of have a main central character. Uh, and uh, um, somebody that, you know, children can connect to or, you know, they are enamored to. And I was, um, I wanted to write a book about Dublin originally as in picture book format about all the different places you can go and visit. Mm. And, um, you know, I had this lovely book worked out and, you know, although it would have been a nice book of illustrations, it needed a little bit of heart and soul and a kind of central character. And um, to be honest with you, I used to keep a little notepad. This is a real cliche, but it worked for me beside my bed, just in case I got like a, an idea or a dream mm. with an answer. And I, I, I was kind of thinking for a while, who could I put in this book or what could I make the central character? And it just came to me at about three or four o'clock in the morning. It just made sense. And I just remember writing Michael D. Higgins down in this little notepad. And I got up the next morning and I looked at it and um, I kind of time to digest the idea. And I sank in. I said, brilliant. So I kind of introduced him into it. And it just all made sense because I was starting off with a book that children knew this character already. And he is so well loved in Ireland. That he's like he's like the granddad of Ireland. I, I couldn't think of him as, mm. and um, that's really how he came into it. And um, it just just seemed to be a perfect fit, you know. Yeah, and what a fit it turned out to be. So then you have your central character, your uh, wonderful illustrator, and away you go and you create the first one, the President's Glasses. And yes. W- when you published it, did you ever expect it would take off like it did, and number two would follow, and number three quickly? No, absolutely not. Like I mean, I you know when I when I when I sent the idea of the book into the publisher, um, you know I think as as far as I know, I think like almost ninety five percent of submissions don't get published. Mm. So I first of all, I was just over the moon that I was going to get the book published when they said they'd love to do it. But you know, I thought it was you know I intended it as a standalone book, and. But the, the publisher, having more experience, kind of w- was looking at the long game and they kind of said, well, look, if this book takes off, like, I mean, wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, the, the, the kids who like it or, or the people who like it knew there was another one in the works? So they were the ones that kind of put the idea in my head. Hey, couldn't we do a series of these books? Now, of course, had the first book had a bombed, I don't think that would have happened. Mm. But fortunately for me, you know, it hit the ground running and became very successful. So almost immediately after it was released, like the publisher was saying, well, have we got story number two? So and that's the way the three books really work, Jerry. It was like as soon as one was finished and I handed it over to the publisher, I was working on the second one straight away. So it was kind of a three year project, one coming out each year from 2017 up to 2019. Um, And you're always kind of, you know, the, the the president was obviously going to be the central character through all the books, but um, I kind of didn't want to repeat the same story. Yeah. I needed to bring other characters into it. And I also wanted to bring other locations because I was very aware after the first book that I got a lot of feedback from children all over Ireland. Well, you know, he's not just the president of Dublin, obviously. And I kind of said, I really kind of want to broaden this book out to especially in the in the second book, mm. to cover all places in Ireland and to really include all the kids around. Like, and that's what I did with the President's Cast. And um, and that was a real real success as well, probably a better success, um, which encouraged me then to kind of finish the trilogy with the President's Surprise. Ah, oh, they're simply wonderful. They really are. And I know from reading them myself to Ava how children enjoyed them and the familiarity with them and the different places you take them and the stories as well. 
Here's the one. Yeah. Here's the one I'm dying to ask you. What about the man himself? I take it you've met uh-huh. him and he, he knows about this. What, what, what was his reaction? Well, I know he's familiar with the books. Um, I haven't met him myself. Oh, but, right. Um, yeah. No, no, but um, top secretly, that might be... Um, that might be sorted out in the next couple of weeks, seemingly. Great. Um, <laughs> but I haven't but I haven't met myself. But I know, like, obviously, as a courtesy, when the president's glasses, just before it was rele- released, they would have sent a copy to the Oris. So he was very familiar. But, and, and I know um, he was in there, the book signing at one stage in Dubray Books. And one of the booksellers um, mentioned, hey, have you seen this book? And it was the president's glasses. And he wasn't that familiar with it at the time. And um, they, they kind of briefly told him what it was about. He recognised himself on the cover. So he said, um, did he find his glasses at the end of the book? And the bookseller says, yeah, you do. And he says, well, then I'm happy with this book. So, <laughs> so he is familiar with the man. You know, they are very affectionate towards him. So, um, you know, it's, yes. I, I knew once he'd seen them, he would like them. I mean, they are very affectionate. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I think the man is great myself, like, you know, so the books are kind of a celebration of him. Like, oh, know. yes. Uh, I'll tell you, it'll be a Peter's surprise when you meet uh, Michael D. And, and please oh, go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it, it will indeed. Like, and I, I hope it happens. It, it yeah. nearly happened on a couple of occasions. Mm. But um, I suppose, you know, it's these things can, can fall through at the very end. So I'm hoping the next one, you know, that's coming up in a few weeks, I will get to meet him. Great. Um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, absolutely, mm. you know. Now, your fan club they're on to me here already ask them ask them you know what I'm going to ask you this is no, this is the most no brainer question I've ever asked on the show but we have listeners on to me already Jerry, please ask them Marion's been on to say love the books will you please tell Peter love reading them for my grandchildren please please Peter bring us more well what's the story what's the story Valamori well you never say never I mean initially I suppose it takes it took three years to make these books. And um, as you kindly mentioned, um, I went and did a, a, com- a completely different book after I finished these. Mm. But I've always left the door open on these. And um, I think I get asked this question a lot. Um, and I think there is another story there. There's probably plenty of stories. And, and yeah. um, the funny thing is, I get, I, get, I get a lot of letters when, when the books were out off children with, with their own ideas of what the next story should be. So maybe I'll steal one of those ideas. I won't tell anybody. Um, the president's chocolate, for some reason, seems to be very popular. Is it? Don't ask me why. Is it something to do with children and chocolate? It could be. But um, I'm sure there's another book in there. But when the right story falls into place, um, I'm certainly not uh, not averse to, to doing another one. Yeah. Uh, I love doing them, to be honest. They were great fun. Well, we were having a chat at home last night with Ava and her mm-hmm. mum and uh, her dad and everybody else. And the Brilliant. consensus was, well, when you're talking to Peter tomorrow, do mention to him uh, about the president's dogs, Broad August Mishnock. OK, so you have the dogs there. Absolutely. And Ava was telling me, do you know the president has a pet pony now at the Oris? It's come all the way oh, from Kylemore what? Abbey. It's a, a, a grey, a small grey with a foal. So that's there as well. We're not putting words in your mouth or anything or I mean, thoughts, you know. I, I didn't know that, Ava, but, you know, I have a, like that little notepad that I told you to keep inside the bed. <laughs> I just happen to be scribbling pony in that at the moment. You never know. Uh, that pony might um, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, the dogs were really popular for the, the children wanted the dogs in, in, yes. in it. And I think um, it was in my uh, third book, that's Present Surprise, I brought the dogs into it. I think they appeared in the second book, but yes. they appear more in the Present Surprise. They're so popular, as you know, Jerry. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't know about the pony. The pony's a great idea. We yes. could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, Gre- um, Grey Lass, uh, I believe, is the name of the pony. And a foal she has as well came from Kylemore Abbey in the West and will be there. Uh, and the foal's name is Amagin, I think, is the name of the pole. So there you are. You've lots of information there. I know you're scribbling away. You're like myself. I like to jot things <laughs> down when they come into my well, head. It's, 
it's turning into the zoo there. Like, I mean, there's so many animals. Well, he's right beside the zoo, isn't he? So maybe it'll just yes. get into it. Like, you know? There you go. There you go. That's fantastic. Yeah. But look, at you mentioned there, Dead Zoo as well was a roaring success for you. You repeated it again on a, on a totally different different angle. Mm. Um, you know, you're an illustrator. I come back to that again. And yeah. a, an award-winning author now. Did you ever believe, you know, that? did you see the day, you know, where illustration would take you into the writing area? Oh, well, I mean, I used to work as a, I used to work in um, in animated films in America for a long time, mm. um, for many years. And I always wanted to illustrate books, but I never had any... Um, aspirations of writing books but you know i again i was very lucky i i kind of I, I made a career as an illustrator but i was illustrating other people's books and i just um you know like it's like i was in my late 40s before I, I i wrote my 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 first book and it was kind of it's never too late like and i kind of said you know what like you know i've been i've been illustrating and researching so many picture books that um I kind of had a good idea how they work once you had a good story because, you know, there is kind of formulas with, with, with stories and being a father myself, like I, I knew what worked and, you know, I was, like yourself, I, I like to uh, read stories to, to my daughter um, when she when she was younger. So, um, yeah, I just said I'd give it a shot and um, I had a few attempts in the beginning that didn't work out. I wasn't too happy with them, but eventually I stuck at it and um I think once you get one done, it, it, it kind of gives you the confidence, if it, especially if it's successful. It gives you the confidence to say, you know, I can do this. Like, you know, and it's it's just really about giving it a shot. And um, and now I find myself about to release my fifth book, which, are, which I've written and illustrated. And all of a sudden, it, it feels very natural that this is what I was meant to do, you know. Mm. But had you asked me that 20 years ago, 15 years ago even, I'd probably say, oh, I'm not too sure, Jerry. I'm quite happy just illustrating other people's stories. So it's never too late, you know, mm. never. Ah, it's a great story. It really is. When will your new one be out? The new one will be out in September. I've actually literally just handed the, all the artwork over yesterday to the publisher. It's with Gill Books, who have published all my books mm. so far. And uh, I'm really excited about the next one again. And um, that will uh, it'll come out in September, yeah, great. hopefully. You know, so really looking forward to that one. Can you reveal the name or is that top secret? I'm going to give you an exclusive, Jerry. I ha- I haven't revealed the name, but I'm going to give you an exclusive. It's called Up on the Mountain. Lovely. There you are. And Thrilled that we can do that today. Up on the Mountain, the new go. one. In Sim- Up on the Mountain. Up on the Mountain. Mm. And it, it's, I, I'll, I'll just briefly let you know what it's about. It's about um, falling in love with nature and spending time with your family and it was inspired by, obviously, the horrible lockdown we had to go through and nobody could go anywhere. Now, I'm lucky that I, I, I live out in Wicklow and I was able to, well, in my limit, I was able to go into forests and go up on the mountains. And when I was there, I seen a lot of families spending time together mm-hmm. and it was beautiful to see, you know, nobody was stuck in front of video games or TVs. Everybody was talking to each other and they were living in the present moment and enjoying the forest so I, I, it really inspired me to write a book about that. Oh, and, um, terrific. terrific. Yeah, I'm re- yeah, I'm re- just really excited about this book because it's quite quite a personal book. But it is, it's a children's picture book and it's aimed at the Ava. And all great, the friends, great <laughs> stuff. We'll be back to you in September. That's a date now. I'm putting it down Absolutely. in my little notes here as well. We'll be back to talk again about <laughs> Up on the Mountain. Watch this space from Peter. Anyway, today it's about the President series because they've yeah. been released. The three of them have been re-released again in, in a series of board books. One, uh, The President's Glasses came out the 28th of May, The Cat the 18th of June, and The President's Surprise is coming on the 3rd of September. But I have all three today here beside me, Peter Donnelly. And and, you know, the idea in the board books is they're for smaller hands and for littlies. And I want to give them away. So before you go, here's the question. You're not to answer. Now, Peter, you're not allowed to uh, enter this answer. competition uh, because I'm going to give one book to three listeners. So there'll be three winners, one each, so you can get a flavour of these books. And the question is this. Michael D. Higgins, what does the D in his name stand for? What does the D in Michael D. Higgins stand for? For a copy, one copy. Uh, I have three copies here, so there's going to be three winners today. I'll give them out to three listeners. So get your answers to us now. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. These are brilliant. So what does the D stand for in Michael D. Higgins? I want to know what your name and details. Peter, 
you're a great one. Thanks so much for uh, taking our call today. Jerry, it was lovely speaking to you. And thanks to all the kids out there who love the books. And I hope you like one new one when it comes out. So, yeah, what does the D stand for? And it's not Donnelly. <laughs> it's definitely not Donnelly, that's no. for sure. Anyway, good <laughs> luck. Right, Jerry. Good luck when you meet Thank him. You Take care of yourself. Bye bye, Peter. Bye bye. Isn't he a lovely guy? He really is. So, there you are. I have the three books here to give away to three of you. Get cracking. Back in a moment. John Lennon and woman on your late lunch this afternoon. Talking about love. Sean Kelly. Happy birthday, Sean, from Navin this afternoon. He's had a tough time lately, I'm told, but your granddaughter, Avine, sends you her best wishes and all her love on your birthday. And she's looking forward to seeing you soon. Happy birthday, Sean. Have a good one. Uh, Just a little uh, notice for you, if you're on the M1 motorway, especially heading south at the minute between junctions 16 and 17, there are cattle out loose on the motorway. This is a dangerous situation and they could stray to the northern side as well. Uh, That's between junctions 16 and 17 on the M1 motorway, please take care. Animals on the road there and uh, maybe somebody will hear that. And get to it and sort it out quickly. Dangerous situation there. Now, just reminding you about our Saturday sets. This Saturday, it was a roaring success last week with the four of us on Facebook. LMFM's Facebook page, you got to go to 9 o'clock this Saturday night again. Who have we this week? Dundalk singer-songwriter Finian. He released his debut album to great acclaim last year and he'll play some those wonderful tracks from that album for you on Saturday. That's Saturday sets, 9 o'clock, LMFM Facebook page. Check it out. Huge numbers uh, joining us on Saturday last and another great young man there for you this Saturday. The batteries. Oh, my God. Yes, thank you indeed for all your help at recycling the batteries. And now Brian, Brian Farley's with me today, was just reminding me that, you know, when you have the batteries, you throw them in the drawer when they're gone and then the remote control runs out of juice and you grab a couple from them and you do this in your hands. You rub them hard in your hands to generate the friction and heat and they'll give you enough power to change the channel on the telly, oh, Brian. But I do remember, and Brian reminded me, uh, years ago, sure, we had money to be buying batteries. Honestly, if you got batteries that were so precious... When they would run low, does anyone remember this? We used to put them by the fireside, right next to the fire when the fire would be roaring, and they'd heat up the batteries and it'd give you a bit more life in them. Do you remember those days? Yes, that's what we had to do to keep the power going in the batteries. We couldn't buy them. There was nowhere to recycle them, for sure. That is a fact. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Heading to a break and afterwards, yes, the Queen Bee is with us, Mary Cooney, and her apprentice, Sally Ann, and they're certainly putting a buzz in gin. Now, they've been winning awards to beat the band all over the world for their new whiskey. Now... There's gin on the scene at Boan Distillery and I'm joined by Queen Bee, Mary Cooney and her sidekick daughter, Sally Ann. Hello, ladies. Hi, Hi Jerry. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Mary, I, I, I mean that in the best possible way. You are the Queen Bee. You're the woman who began this whole thing with the bees because the bees, Mary, are part and parcel, aren't they, of the new gin? Yes, absolutely, Jerry. And uh, the reason I got into beekeeping was to pollinate six and a half thousand apple trees that were at the back of the house. And um, we used the petals, the apple blossom and also the honey and the elderflower at the back of the beehives. So that is the three of our main botanicals in this Silks Irish Gin. So the bees and the natural Irish honeybee and the foraging in those lovely fields and lands around uh, where you live is all going into this gin. Tell them the story. You you got into, you wanted to get the bees initially, but the the first hive, where did you get your first bees from? Well, we started, Sally Ann and myself started our um, beekeeping career by doing our exams with the Federation of Irish Beekeepers. Mm. And then we went on to join the local Royal County uh, Beekeepers Association. And that was about uh, 2011. And it wasn't until about 2016 that we actually um, 
got into or I got into it full time at that stage. And I was looking for a swarm of bees. And my neighbor, Damien, down the road actually uh, rang me and said, look, get your brood box, get get into your suit, come down quickly. I have a swarm hanging on a gate down at the bottoms in his fields, which was about two or three fields down from his house. And um, we caught the swarm. And just as we were putting the swarm into the brood box, we discovered that the queen bee had actually fallen to the foot of the gate. So thankfully, Damien spotted the queen bee because without her, we wouldn't have our our swarm uh, together. So we then uh, closed up the box and headed back to uh, the farm and put uh, this swarm into the apiary that I'd set up. And it's called Sunshine Apiary. And away so you that, went from there. They were and the... away we went. Lots of ups and downs, Jerry. I can tell you. Yeah. Um, you know, beekeeping is a science. There's so much to know. And, you know, good days, bad days with it. But loving it. Yeah. Really. I, I had them, oh. as you know, myself for a while. I was into it. And I did a series on the show here many moons ago called Live from the Hive. When uh, I was actually being taught by Owen McGillicuddy uh, to actually keep bees. But I'll just tell you one little aside before we go on. <laughs> I One, one night, sally Ann, I was uh, tending the bees and I suddenly realised there were more inside the suit than outside the suit. You know that <laughs> feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jerry! I know. In fairness, Mom's great. Mom is definitely the uh, the master beekeeper here. I'm. Uh, I, as I said, I'm. I'm definitely a. Uh, the apprentice in the background and uh, we look we've been very lucky with our bees we've got we've got lovely bees they're generally very calm mm. and they give us lots of honey which is great and uh, you know for us we're looking for inspiration for the gin because as you know with the distillery the main focus is whiskey but I've always loved gin since a very young age and um, I've always been fascinated by the botanicals end of things and you know um when we were commissioning our our copper pot stills for the whiskey I managed to slide in a question there about did they also make gin stills and they did so I managed to get a small little gin still put on the back of the order for the big whiskey stills and um, you know it's been it's been there in the background for a long time and when we were looking for I suppose the inspiration for the gin because gin as you know can have gin essentially is a botanical spirit Mm. that has to have you know the the main component has to be juniper to be called gin but it can have it can have one, it can have juniper on its own, it can have one botanical, or it could have a hundred botanicals. So you've lots of scope for experimentation and different botanicals and using different things. And I think for, for us, when I was looking for the inspiration for our gin, um, you know, I really wanted it to, to, to be of this place and of the Boyne Valley where we come from. Um, it's such an amazing land and you know, sustainability is a large, large part of what we're what we're trying to do here with the distillery, and it just felt the natural step when looking for the botanicals was to go to the orchard. So, you know, with the apple blossom, you get this beautiful floral kind of note. The same with the elderflower. We also have some hawthorn in there as well, um, and you know, and then of course the honey. The honey had to go in. Mm. So, um, so, so it is actually a dry gin. So we actually add the honey in pre-distillation in the maceration stage. So we still have. Uh, we still come out with, with essentially a London dry style gin. So it's a very floral forward um, contemporary gin. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it was always going to end up back in the orchards, you know. Yeah. And um, and then our name then also comes from the locality. So we were toing and froing with our name. So our whiskey, as you know, the whistler is named after Pat. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, he's a great whistler. Uh, when he's in good mood, you can't stop him. And uh, <laughs> that's that's been, you know, that that's been really interesting for a lot of people is that it comes from the family. So, um, and then, you know, as I said, all our botanicals come from, I suppose, our place. And uh, for the name, we actually landed on Silks Irish Dry Gin. And where that comes from is actually, we can see Bellustown Racecourse from the distillery. And we just felt there was a really nice link there with the jockey silks yes. at the racecourse, the silk, the silk road, the spice route, just the premium element of it, we felt that it was just a really classy name for a gin. Mm. And uh, and yeah, so there we are. And so Silk's Gin has just launched on the market. Um, we're so excited to have it out. It's on our online shop at the moment, but we will be rolling it out around the country now. 
over the summer. So we've got some great plans for it. Oh, great stuff. And, and you know, you talk about the whiskey, which is time, uh, whereas with gin, very short time frame, you can produce it. Yeah, it's great. We can produce it in 48 hours. So what we do is we've got 14 distinct botanicals and we macerate them in our little pot still. We have a 500 litre Bennett pot still and we macerate them for 24 hours before we distill. And we also have quite uniquely, we also have a vapour infusion chamber. So a lot of our more floral botanicals, the lighter botanicals go into the vapour infusion chamber. So it actually means that we can get a very complex and layered gin and it gets a lot of those kind of floral top notes, which comes through um, and the gin, it's, it, it's non-chill filtered. You know, we, we cut it back with our own deep well water. We bottle it ourselves. So it very much comes from us. But the distillation process is 48 hours, which is so lovely compared to whiskey, which is three years and a day minimum before mm. we can even bottle it. So it gives yes. us a lot more scope there. So while our whiskey is sleeping quietly away uh, in the warehouses. We're drinking uh, the gin. Yeah, we're drinking a lot of gin. <laughs> God, you have the best of all worlds. Uh, you really have. Mary, while you're talking about uh, enjoying it, are you a, a gin fan yourself or what way do you like to drink it? I was always a gin fan, Jerry, for years and years and years. Um, a gin before a meal was always my tipple. Yeah. So now it's one or two before a meal. <laughs> Sally, Sally, get hold of her there. I know she's the queen bee, but come on, come on. Oh, I know. Here, I'm with her, Jerry. We're loving it. And we're doing a lot of experimentation with signature cocktails as well at the moment. I'm becoming a master uh, cocktail maker. So we've got some really lovely cocktails that we're going to get over Instagram and stuff over the summer. So listen, summer is, is gin drinking. So I'm declaring it the summer of gin. And uh, hopefully everyone else will join us with it as well. So, And, and you know, I, I don't need to remind you for a number of years now, gin's in big time. Uh, there are a lot of new uh, brands from all over the country on the market. It's a competitive marketplace. Where are you? Are you you're breaking in here in Ireland and going countrywide. Are you looking beyond these shores with it? Absolutely, Jerry. We're, we're, we've already uh, sent a container to America. Mm. So we've been doing a lot abroad because right. there's a huge amount of gins, a myriad of gins here in Ireland. So we have very good contacts through our cream liqueur business and our whiskey business. So the gin will go in alongside the whiskey and the cream liqueur abroad in the countries that we deal in. And we just got our first European order in last week. So I think we've got a few hundred cases going to Finland as well. So and they're 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 very good gin people over there. Yes. uh, you know, it's tasted well over there. They decided they want it and we send sending over the first few hundred cases and hopefully that'll go well. So, you know, we definitely hope to open up Europe and as I said, you know, America's really, good. really yeah. do well in America. So mm. fingers crossed. And, and, you know, you mentioned really the hedgerows there and the nature of the bees, the natural Irish bees. I just see at the moment uh, when you look in the ditches, uh, you can see it and, and the white blossom of uh, elderflower. the elderflower yeah. at the moment. It's just everywhere and it's so, so beautiful. It really is. <laughs> and Mary, just back to the bees for a moment. Uh, we had a very cold springtime of the year. We had a lot of damp weather in the winter. What's it looking like for the harvest? The last few weeks have been oh, good. Jerry, last year was absolutely dreadful. Mm. And um, my bees brought in a lot of rapeseed instead of apple blossom. Yes. And uh, so I had some difficulty in extracting it. So I found a wonderful guy called Alex Brannigan. He was Lugs Brannigan's son. You mm-hmm. might remember yes. Lugs Brannigan. And thankfully, he had a, an extractor and he was able to extract it for me. But with the normal extractor, we couldn't get the rapeseed out. Right. So hopefully now this year, it'll it'll be a little bit different. But all the beekeepers had a lot of problems last yeah. uh, summer. So hope we're hoping for a much better one. I know it's been damp and May has, hasn't been great. A lot of swarming trying to take place. So I'm putting the pin in my collar. We had to do an artificial swarm last week. And, um, you know, hopefully now I've, <laughs> it's, it's 
so much to learn, Jerry. But, uh, you know, you you know, you started it. I know, I know, and I, 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 you know why? Do you know why I laugh? Because I, I, where I sit talking to you today, I remember one day when I was at this, and I had first two hives in my back garden, and I live on the outskirts of Drogheda, but it's uh, on the edge of the urban uh, uh, spread there in the north side of town. But anyway, <laughs> I remember my phone hopping here and me live and air, my daughter Sarah. Get home, get home. There's millions of bees everywhere. <laughs> They'd swarmed while I was on I the know. air. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God, Jerry. I know. And yeah. and yeah. there's nothing you can do once they've swarmed. It's just a matter of going and collecting yes. the swarm and mm. start getting your brew box and start yes. up another hive. You yeah. know? Oh, listen, <laughs> but, listen. Um, there's a lot of work in it, but it's actually uh, another guy, Michael, another beekeeper. This is fantastic. I'm friends with loads of beekeepers, as you can imagine now. But Michael um, arrived on Monday with uh, a queen, a young queen, and we put it into an apodea. So we had to put a, a cup full of bees in with the apodea and the young queen. It's been under the desk in my bee shed for 48 hours. And last night I went down with my neighbour Jimmy, who gives me a helping hand, Jimmy O'Neill, and we put it under the elderflower bushes. So it's going to, then we opened it and the bees came flying out. Now there was only a couple of bees in the apodea. So now I have the exercise of, in a week's time, checking to see that they have enough food, and then about three weeks' time, hope that that queen has started to lay some eggs. Yes. Oh, it's a it's a, it's a fascination. It really is. And oh, the news is incredible. that uh, the bees have their input into the brand new uh, gin from Bowan Distillery. Silks Gin. Uh, keep it in mind. It's going to go countrywide soon. And if you want to find out more, boandistillery.ie online. Ladies, happy beekeeping. Happy quaffing. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you on the show today wish you well thank you, thank you pleasure, jerry take care of yourselves bye-bye bye-bye that's the coonies there from boan distillery with another string to their bow late lunch lmfm radio still to come on the show today my artists of the week are blondie a cracker for you and more about them as well and tomorrow is a significant day if you're a countdown fan i am a countdown fan i love it i can't watch it when i'm in here working on the show of course but i recorded meticulously i never miss a recorded go home and most evenings after my dinner with a cup of tea i sit and watch it and the final of the current series is happening tomorrow and it's nick Hewer's last show and we're going to be hearing from Nick on Late Lunch after three today. Stay with us on your Late Lunch. Hi Jerry, have you ever tasted or made elderflower cordial? I have indeed. I've tasted it. I think it's a fantastic taste and I was saying to the Coonies there the ditches are just hanging with it at the moment. You must get the flour young. Lots of sugar in it I have to say. There's lots of sugar in the cordial but I've made it and it has a beautiful, beautiful taste. It's lovely to add a dash to even a, a bottle of water and enhance is so many things I have indeed and uh, that message coming in from a listener who's telling me they're making it themselves at the moment good luck to you at that it's absolutely beautiful easy to make and stores quite well for a time I have indeed tasted it's lovely the elderflower cordial it sure is Jerry countdown is not going to be the same after tomorrow says Paula Yes, you do know that uh, Nick Hewer is being replaced by Anne Robinson from The Weakest Link. She is the new presenter from Monday, so it'll be an all-girl team with Susie Dent, Rachel Riley, and Anne Robinson at the helm. Interesting, Nick is retiring uh, after 10 years. Anne is actually older than Nick coming in to take on the job. I think it's a real shot in the arm, you know, for people of an age. Is there an age you should stop or you're not, you know, wanted to present... A big programme like Countdown. Well, Anne is defying uh, all the odds there coming in. And let's give her a chance and see how she gets on. Anyway, Nick, you're coming up on Late Lunch after three o'clock today. Time for my Artist of the Week on Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. It is Blondie this week. And picking up the story from yesterday... After eight incredible years, a combination of financial mismanagement, drug use and a life-threatening illness diagnosis for founder Christine, 
Well, it was too much for them, really. Blondie broke up in November 1982. Steen did recover, but Debbie Harry and himself ended their relationship subsequently, mainly because of the drug issue. Yet they continued to work together as Harry pursued a solo career. Her 1986 debut album, Rockbird, great name for the album, isn't it, when you think of Debbie Harry, was moderately successful, producing a top 10 hit, French Kissing in the USA. I'm sure many remember that one. During the 80s and 90s, uh, Debbie Harry ploughed on alone until she and Steen reformed Blondie in 1997. Listen to this, with all five original members. Now, it didn't last too long like that, but they got going with the five. Even with the break, they toured successfully, really successfully in 1998 and 1999 and released a new album called No Exit. 20 years after their first number one single, this song would hit top spot in the charts once more for Blondie. I absolutely love it. Blondie, back with a bang. She moves like she don't care. Blondie. My Artist of the Week this week. Oh, I just love that song. 20 years it was between their previous number one and that one there. And it's a timeless number, it really is. Debbie Harry at her very best. More from Blondie in Music and Words on Late Lunch Roundabout this time tomorrow. I have three books here beside me. I don't feel like giving them away. But I'm going to Peter Donnelly with us earlier on the show. Isn't he a great fella? Author of the President's series of books. I have The President's Glasses, The President's Cat and The President's Surprise to give away. Three winners on Late Lunch today. I'm not going to tell you, whoever you are who's won, I'm going to tell you who they are in a moment, which of those books you're getting. So it'll be a surprise in the post. You won't know which of them you'll get, so we'll keep that as a little surprise for you. Anyway, there are three books going out in the post. It'll be tomorrow at this stage. And let me tell you who they're going to. Shirley Mooney from Pawstown, uh, Pawnstown, uh, outside Dunlear. One of them is yours, Shirley. Well done to you. The other one, number two, is going to uh, Dara Farrell from Ballamakenny in Drogheda. And the third book is making its way to Drumbarra just outside Kells to Ava Lynch. Well done to you. So a book each for you. And thanks to everybody. We're inundated with people looking for the books. They're brilliant. Uh, they really are. And the answer I was looking for, Michael D. Higgins. What does the D in Michael D. Higgins stand for? I have to tell you. I didn't know myself. I had to check this one out. It stands for Daniel. Daniel is the president's middle name. Michael Daniel Higgins. There you go. And thanks to everybody who joined in the fun and sent us in messages with the right answer. And some wrong ones there as well too. But look at I would have got it wrong probably myself. Anyway, thank you for your participation again today and reminding you on late lunch tomorrow, Friday, we'll have the riddle on Friday. A nice little prize for you as well to sort out. Final break of this Thursday afternoon on the show. And afterwards, I want to pay a little tribute to a man who hangs up his microphone tomorrow. I love the show I mentioned earlier on Countdown. Nick Hewer leaves after 10 years tomorrow. And I'll tell you more about it after this break. It was the first programme ever to air on Channel 4. Way, way back. Yes, we're talking about 1982 and it's still running today. I'm talking about Countdown and it has had very few presenters in its time. But the current presenter, Nick Hewer, is retiring tomorrow after 10 years. I can't believe it, 10 years while they're presenting the show. And I've watched it from it ever begun. And I was telling you earlier, I watch it every day. I record it and I watch it and I love the show. I love it as much today. I'm not great on the conundrums, I have to be honest with you. I'm very good on the mats. I generally always work the mats out. Well, the only time I don't is Rachel can't. I can't either. I I don't think I've ever beaten her. Anyway, uh, and on the, the words, well, I get them from time to time. If I get a seven, I'm doing well. But I've I've rarely, I've once or twice got a nine. I play it myself, you see, when, I, when I'm when i watching it. And with the playback now, you can skip through the ads, which, which is great. Anyway, tomorrow is a big day for Nick. He uh, hangs up the mic, as I said, and Anne Robinson takes over from Monday. I met Nick Hewer. 
And I want to go back to the time I met him. It was on June 28th, almost two years ago in 2019. We were out and about with late lunch in Kells for the Hinterland Festival. And he was one of the big uh, turns engaged that year by Hinterland to be part of the festival. And he kindly dropped into us in the Hedford Arms Hotel. And I was in me element. I had a lovely interview with him. But I want to go back to an excerpt from that interview. Have a listen to myself and Nick. I can tell you, Nick, that I record it every day and I go home and I have my dinner in the evenings and I sit down with you and Rachel and Susie. I wouldn't miss it. I love it. It's it's, Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, because we, we love to hear from real fans. And you've been watching it since 82. I have. It's the first show when the first show on uh, Channel 4. And Channel 4, of course, the first person who was on it was a guy called uh, Dennis Toohey, who is uh, an Irishman and was uh, at school with me, funnily enough, slightly ahead of me, yeah, down at Clongus in Kildare. Dennis Toohey, yeah. But... What's interesting about Countdown and Ireland is the high proportion of contestants that cross the Irish Sea and come to our studio in Media City in uh, Salford. Yeah, the Irish do have a thing for Countdown. Maybe it's just the Irishman's or woman's love of language, is it? It could be, but I'll tell you something as well about you. And I've noticed this over the years. We have a great representation. I'd say if you compare it to other nations as well, taking part in it. But you do one thing, Nick Hewer, that I love. You always get the pronunciations of the places in Ireland where they come from, right? Good. (laughs) Well done to you. Well, I do. In fact, because I was at school here, down in Kildare, my knowledge of, um, of Irish geography is far superior to my knowledge of British uh, geography. Yeah. Well, if, that's because you mentioned it there, of your time in Clongos, where you it. went. I know all about Malinhead and the McGillicuddy Reeks and law, all these things. You're our kind of guy, Nick. There I we are. Say. And I always travel on an Irish passport, the most important passport to travel on, because wherever you go, you're welcome. That's not strictly true of the British passport, you know. And I'll tell you something, in the weeks and months and years ahead, that passport may become even more valuable. Absolutely. In fact, I went to the Christmas party at the uh, Irish Embassy last year, and the ambassador was a great character, a very witty guy, delightful man. I think he's in Washington now. And he said it was the media Christmas party, so it was a lot of press and all that. And he said, oh, gentlemen, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you leave, kindly pick up an application form for your Irish passports because it'll save us a fortune on postage. And apparently they're flying out now. Everybody wants an Irish passport. Well, I've got mine. Good on you. Good on you. And listen, you have something else that uh, makes you distinct as well. When you think of Countdown, Richard Whiteley began it, William G. Stewart, Des Lynham, Des O'Connor, Jeff yeah. Stelling, and you since 2012. Yeah. There have been very few presenters of the show. It's true. I mean, um, uh, you know, the founder of the whole thing, twice nightly, whitely, um, was on it for 16 years, I think. And I'm coming up to eight, I think. You're the second longest after yeah. Richard now. Yeah. Um, and um, I've got, I'm contracted for next year. And let's see what happens. If they want me, will I stay on or not? I don't know. Let's see. But it's a great show. It's a lovely show. It's a... It's a, not a flashy show. It's not a super ego, um, you know, pizzazz type of show. People just want that teapot. Yes. You know? And it's, it's brilliant. And once you get the teapot, you have achieved. You're a tight little team because Rachel and Susie and yourself are the nucleus. And, of course, you have a guest uh, with Susie yeah. Dent at Dictionary Corner every day. Is, is it fun? Do you have great fun doing this? Oh, it's a, it's a very well-oiled machine. Mm. The whole thing is run by a guy called um, Edie, who was a champion years ago, Damien Edie, uh, a very particular bloke, I've got to say. Much love by the people. He runs the thing very smoothly. Um, and we do. We do have fun. A lot of it depends on the chemistry with the Dictionary Corner guest. And we have some great people. Mm, absolutely. Great people. Um, so, yeah, it's we're proud of it, actually. Very proud of it. How far do you record or what way does it work? Do you do a week of this and do so many shows in a day? How does that Well, happen? we do about, um, don't quote me on this now, uh, 260 a year so we have uh, blocks of three days we do five shows a day that's 15 shows a block and on average we're doing about 50 52 days a year but we're we're recording in advance because that's the way it works you know we've got 
I mean, the, the, the crew is about 40 strong. You see, there are six cameras, uh, six cameramen. We've got audience coordinators. We've got uh, all the, the sound people, the lighting people, the mixing people. We've got security. We've got a nurse there in the audience to look after anybody who falls over. And she offers me the cough sweet occasionally. <laughs> so it's quite a big show. And the, it, it's in a, a very expensive studio. So you've got to do them in clumps. What about the spin-off, 8 out of 10 cats, does Countdown? What do you make of well, it? Well, it's, it's, it's very popular. Yeah. Um, I think it does the main show good because it, it sort of opens it up at a peak time, the sort of concept of it. Um, no, I think, I think it's fun to watch, for sure. Quite racy. Um, and uh, I think it's good for the main show, yeah. Would you like to present it? Well, I'm not a comedian. Mm. They did want me to be involved at one stage, and I thought to myself, you know, I anchor the afternoon show, and I think it would be odd to put me in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very happy not to, really, but I think it's being recommissioned and it's doing well. You'd have to get the hair dyed like Jimmy Carr as well, Nick. You're no. not suggesting he's got dyed hair. <laughs> has he? Well, if he hasn't, he is something that no other human has on this planet. Do you know something? I've never thought I should look very closely at Will this. you? Yeah. Do that for Does me. Does he wear eyeshadow? He just might. I think because he's always got those slightly dark eyes. <laughs> he's a good bloke, He's very funny. Very bright guy, he you is, know. He is. And, and, and he's he, smart. As you say, he makes it. And it's a different concept, really, to yeah. the main show in the afternoon. All but right. So I'll have to dye my hair and wear, wear eyeshadow. Okay, I'll do you, it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first from Mr. Nick Hewer on Late Lunch this afternoon. Yes, time's up for Nick. We wish him well, a long and happy retirement. What a lovely man as he leaves. Countdown tomorrow. Final show tomorrow, the final of the current series. I'm looking forward to it. That's a lot on Late Lunch today. Tomorrow, we'll be talking to Keith Russell about his eating disorder. We have Book Club with Margaret Madden. Rick Cronjay will sort the wines for the weekend and the next month. Sport with Leon Blanche and your riddle on Friday. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Thanks to Brian, who uh, looked after me this afternoon Brian Farley we leave you in the company of George Ezra have a lovely evening The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drahada Dundalk and Cavan we have amazing offers available across the Renault Dacia and Opel range whether it is a petrol diesel LPG plug-in hybrid or electric we have the perfect car for you see blackstonemotors.ie It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Butter.
Lottery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.